Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. If you aren't already following Steve Malloy on X, you must stop what you're doing right now. Go over there and follow him. He is smashing lies about the Maui wildfires. His X handle is junk science. So it's x.com slash junk science. We are going to walk through some of these climate change lies that are being told about the Maui wildfires and the actual facts, scientific evidence, data that debunks the political lies that are being told. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But first, I want to watch a video with you. This is a video of Rachel Zegler. You might know who Rachel Zegler is. You might not know who Rachel Zegler is. Or like me, you might have seen her for the first time because she's starring in Disney's remake of Snow White. Yes, that girl. You've seen her. Who in their right mind would pay to watch that kind of garbage? I'm not sure. In fact, every time Rachel Zegler opens her mouth to talk about Snow White, I become more and more convinced that she was miscast as Snow White and is actually the living embodiment of the Wicked Queen. But she's gone viral once again because of this video. Let's take a look. I mean, you know, the, the original cartoon came out in 1937, yeah. and very evidently so. <laughs> um, there is a big focus on her love story um, with a guy who literally stalks her. <laughs> yeah. Weird. Super weird. Super weird. So we didn't do that this time. <laughs> so, no, so no prince or a different kind of prince? We have a different approach to what I'm sure a lot of people will assume is a love story just because, like, we cast a guy in the movie. Right. Andrew Burnup, great dude. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's... One of those things that I think everyone's going to have their assumptions about what it's actually going to be, but uh, it's really not about the love story at all, which is really, really wonderful. And whether or not she finds love along the way is anybody's guess until 2024. Um, all of Andrew's scenes could get cut. Who knows? It's Hollywood, baby. <laughs> I don't know who cast her. I don't know who would pay money to watch this, which is kind of a rhetorical comment because a lot of people will watch this movie, which is why we're talking about it today. I, it's an interesting PR tactic that she's using because it appears that she is trying to make us feel stupid for enjoying the original Snow White, enjoying the fairy tale or enjoying the movie that came out in 1937, which is an odd tactic to try to change people's minds on a political issue, which is seems to be what she's trying to do if she's trying to tell us that the original Snow White was misogynistic, sexist, oppressive of women, whatever feminist nonsense she's trying to spew, then she is trying to change our minds to hold a different opinion. And it's a very weird tactic to try to make someone feel stupid. It's called gaslighting to people will sit there and be like, well, am I crazy? Am I crazy to think that this, this nonsense, this new Snow White, where Snow White isn't white and the seven dwarves aren't dwarves, that there's only one dwarf? Am I crazy to think that this is really weird, that this is really woke? This is the tactic that she's using. And honestly, I will be very blunt with you right here. I missed this part. I didn't realize that this was the tactic that she was using because I myself am a bit immune from this tactic. And the reason I'm immune from this tactic is because I was homeschooled. And back when I was homeschooled, I know homeschooled, homeschoolers now are totally normal and homeschooling has been totally normalized in society. But back when I was homeschooled, back in the day, I'm 34, so it was a while back, homeschooling was not very common. And homeschooling had a lot of stigmas attached to it. 
stigmas that weren't accurate in the case of my homeschool experience. Maybe they were in other people's experiences, but I was not wearing a jean skirt down to my ankles. I was not wearing braided hair and thumping a Bible and unsocialized and uneducated and blah, 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 sort of the, the standard stereotype of homeschoolers at the time. Again, whether or not it was true, but one of the things that I did learn as a child uh, or was, I mean, you had to learn if you were homeschooled back when I was, is not to care what other people think because other people met you and as soon as they found out you were homeschooled, then you automatically had to had to experience the barrage of these stereotypes being hurled at you. Like, are you socialized? Are you smart? Do you know anything? And so you just kind of learned to let everyone's criticism or their preconceived notions roll off your back. So I'm, I'm, I grew up naturally not caring what other people think in that sense and then being conditioned to it because of the circumstances, being homeschooled. So it was actually an interesting conversation I was having about this earlier with my producer, Rebecca, where she was saying she's trying to make people feel stupid. It's a form of peer pressure. And I was like, you're completely correct. It is a form of peer pressure. She's trying to gaslight you into thinking that the original Snow White, that that she's trying to gaslight you into feeling weird that you liked the original Snow White and make you feel bad like you're some kind of evil person that wants the oppression of women if you don't like her woke nonsense, which is weird. It's weird. I mean, it makes you wonder in a, for a second why... Why, why is she even participating in this remake? Why is Disney remaking Snow White if they think the original plot of this fairy tale is so abhorrent? You could do any movie under the sun. You could take any fairy tale. You could take any script. You could do anything that you want in this, in this movie. Why would you make this movie based on this plot if you think that the original fairy tale is so abhorrent? And I think the reason for this is because theater, and I know that movies are a type of theater, but theater has always been used as a form of political or social or cultural statement. It's always been used to try to change people's minds on those issues. And that is what Disney is trying to do here. So it would behoove you and me to ask, okay, well, what is Disney trying to change our minds about? You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. As the nation gears up for another election season, tune to the first TV for the best coverage on television. Get an exclusive inside look at the American political machine with Sean Spicer at 7. Unmatched analysis and historical perspective from Bill O'Reilly at 8. Then a bold, unapologetic take from Jesse Kelly at 9. It's must-see TV in primetime every night on The First TV. Watch The First on DirecTV Channel 347, Uverse Channel 1220, or DirecTV Stream. Maybe they're trying to change our minds about how we view traditional gender roles. Maybe they're trying to retrain the minds of the young girls who actually will go watch this. I mean, I can sit here and mock, like, who on earth is going to pay to see this? But the fact of the matter is a lot of young girls are going to go see this, and their minds are going to be influenced by what's in this movie and the way that women are portrayed, the way that men are portrayed. Um, and it seems, based on everything that we have heard so far from Rachel Zegler, that this new Snow White remake is going to be focused on feminism, essentially, hating men, uh, telling women that they should be more career-focused, kind of demeaning, wanting to get married and fall in love and have a family, and really demonizing the idea of a knight in shining armor. And the knight in shining armor became part of fairy tales because of human nature, because women and men fall in love, because we as women are different than how men are. 
Um, essentially, the knight in shining armor is a representation, this is just the Christian worldview here, of traditional gender roles, that men are supposed to be the protectors, they are supposed to protect women who are the homemakers or the creators of life. Um, that's the Christian worldview, that's why it shows up in so many fairy tales, but it seems that the political, cultural, and social statement that Disney's trying to make with this piece of entertainment is to change the minds of young girls, or to re-educate the minds of young girls about how to view traditional gender roles or traditional roles of men and women. I don't even like to use the word gender anymore. Um, but the desire for companionship and partnership and a spousal relationship is not bad. There's nothing to be ashamed of to desire love and a husband and a family. There's a reason that movies like Snow White resonate across political lines, that young women for literally centuries have liked this fairy tale, because it, you don't have to be a Republican to feel this way. This is human nature. This is how women are made. They want to watch a love story. The deep desire for a family is universal, is what I'm trying to say. It crosses time, and it is perfectly normal. And Disney seems to be trying to tell young women or retrain young women's minds, gaslight them into thinking that that's somehow bad. It's a deeply dangerous political narrative that we are seeing from Disney. And by the way, conservatives are not, I want to address this narrative I've seen quite a bit on X, conservatives are not the one making this Snow White remake popular with our criticism, not at all. In fact, this has been something that Republicans have felt fallen for for a long time. If we ignore pop culture influences because we recognize at the outset that they're bad, if we just brush them under the rug, ignore them, try to turn a blind eye to them, then they, those influences are still influences on young people's minds. We just aren't competing or trying to debunk the narrative. We're not competing for the minds of those, those young people. And the result of that is we get chaos like we have now. So we should be talking about this. We should be talking about Snow White because it's deeply dangerous. Uh, speaking of deeply dangerous, Joe Biden responded finally to the Maui wildfires. And some people are saying that this is Biden's... Joe Biden finally responded to the horrific, the tragic, the deadly wildfires that, that are happening in Hawaii on Maui right now. And he was he just left the beach in Delaware. He was vacationing there. And this is what he said in response to a question from a reporter about the rising death toll on Maui. Take a listen. No comment, says the president of the United States. No comment. There are a lot of people who are saying that the moment that this is Biden's Bush and Katrina moment, you know, the moment where Bush was in the airplane looking out the window, they released this photograph of him looking down on the wreckage from Katrina, and the image did not portray what the Bush administration ostensibly wanted it to portray. It made Bush look like an elitist. It made him look very far removed from the problem, and it Arguably, you can make different arguments here, but arguably, this was the beginning of the end of the, the success of the Bush presidency. There are some who are saying that Joe Biden's response to the Maui wildfires is no comment, could be the same moment. I don't think it's going to be the same moment because the media is protecting him. It was the media who made the Bush-Katrina moment a thing. The media are going to do the opposite with Joe Biden. They are going to protect him. So I don't think it's going to be the same moment. However, we talked a little bit about this yesterday, but more information has come to light. We still don't know all the details about what happened with these Maui wildfires, but we are learning more each day. And what we're learning is that the Democrats are liars. We're learning that the mainstream media has no interest in the truth and that Democrats, it's just the most despicable political tactic to use a tragedy, especially a tragedy where a large number of people are dying, including a large number of children are dying to try to push a pre existing political narrative. We see this sometimes when there, when there's a mass shooting or some kind of gun violence and the left immediately steps in and tries to 
push their anti-gun, anti-Second Amendment agenda. Like, people just died. Stop trying to push your tyrannical agenda on us. We saw this during COVID where people were so fearful and the Democrats used this fear of COVID to push their pre-existing political agenda towards authoritarianism. This is exactly what's happening now. Whenever you hear a Democrat say, oh, this is about climate change, they, they're using climate change as a vehicle to exert authoritarian control over us, and they're trying to exploit a tragedy in order to accelerate that agenda. But the facts of the matter show that, A, the government in Hawaii was delinquent in warning people and preparing for wildfires, even though they had a ton of advance notice, not just of this wildfire in particular, but a ton of advance warning years ahead of time that this situation could occur because of circumstances on the island, and they did nothing to prepare for it in order to mitigate it. This, I mean, it's it's really, really a significant point to make that the government has a role in protecting citizens. There is a contract between a government and a citizen where the, the citizen relies to a certain extent on the government to for for safety. I mean, not safety in the sense that you can rely on a police officer always to be your personal security guard, but for a society, especially a community, we do rely on the government to act with due diligence or otherwise they should relinquish their rights over certain properties. And what I mean by that is, um, if we can bring this up on the pay, up on the screen, this is element number three. Steve Malloy, who I mentioned before, is doing an excellent job documenting all of the failures of the government in Hawaii. There was no water in the fire hydrants. This is according to a firefighter who was on duty. America is on trial. Join me, Josh Hammer, as we examine the presidential election through the only lens that truly matters, the legal proceedings of Donald Trump and the Biden crime family. This new daily podcast examines breaking news and analyzes the biggest questions facing the country. Can the former president, Donald Trump, get a fair trial? Can Trump be disqualified from the ballot? Can Joe Biden pardon his son, Hunter? Can Trump even pardon himself? We cover all the action every morning. Listen to America on Trial, wherever you download your favorite podcasts. No water in the fire hydrants, even though they had warning of the risk of wildfires in Hawaii. And they didn't, we talked yesterday about how they didn't send out a warning. They didn't send out, the sirens didn't blare. People had no idea that this was happening. Some people until their houses were already on fire. So the emergency warning system failed, even though it had gone off twice wrongly in the two years prior to that. There were no, there was no water in the fire hydrants, according to firefighters on duty. And then we have this situation. This is very similar to what happened in California, where there's no brush control. And so dead trees and branches and pine needles and all of this stuff becomes just like ripe for combustion. When the sugar plantations left Hawaii, what happened to the sugar plantations? Well, non-native fire-prone wild grasses took over that were extremely combustible. They were ripe for wildfires. This is element number four. Again, all credit here to Steve Malloy, who's, who's tracking all this stuff. It's incredible the circumstances that could have been avoided. So I'm gonna read you what he, what he posted on X here. He said, 2020 hazard mitigation plan for Maui estimated a 90% chance of wildfires every year. 90%, like comprehend that. When the land management, the sugar plantations left, fire-prone non-native grasses took over. Everyone in the government and green groups knew this, but no one did anything. Now they're trying to blame climate for their reckless disregard of reality. So they knew that this was basically a tinderbox. They could have done anything. I mean, you could have sheep graze on that grass and it would, it would 
it would mitigate the risk. And I say sheep because this is exactly what happened in California. There used to be sheep ranches in California. And sheep, anybody who has owned a sheep knows that sheep eat everything down to a nub. So plants, grass, shrubs, just eat it down to a nub, mitigate the fire risk. But when the sheep ranches were bought by the government in California and these, these areas of land became national parks, the sheep were no longer on this land. And all of this, all of this, this shrubbery and this brush and this grass grew and grew and wasn't tended at all and therefore became dangerous for when a fire was started. The same thing happened in Hawaii, and yet the government knew it, the green groups knew it, and no one did anything about it, and now they're pointing the finger at climate change, which is their pre-existing political agenda to exert authoritarianism over us. And by the way, even scientists who believe in the premise of climate change were issuing these warnings. And I'm gonna read you this letter from a scientist back in 2019. So back in 2019, a scientist who believes in the premise of climate change, which I do not typically believe in the premise of climate change, issued this letter. I wanna bring this up on the screen. This is from Clay Trauernicht, who writes, I appreciate your newspaper's coverage of the West Maui wildfires, especially with respect to their impact on the local community. I agree these fires raise many serious questions. However, I'd also offer that many, many people are working on the very answers to those questions across the state. It's not rocket scientists. Rocket science, there are, ju there are just three ingredients to every wildfire. An ignition source, fuels to burn, and the right climate. Local knowledge and local action can help with two of these. For fuels, Representative McKelvey hit it on the head in the article. Rains come, the grasses grow, rains stop, the grasses burn, aka the grass fire cycle. Maui is now firmly in the post-plantation era, and the West Maui fires are only the most recent example of what eventually happens when large tropical grasslands go untended. But the fuels, all that grass, is the one thing that we can directly change to reduce fire risk. Fuel breaks can be expanded to slow fires and provide access for firefighters. Livestock are an incredible tools to keep fire risks down, we can plant other things. Active agricultural lands, for example, don't burn, or they burn when we want them to. And restoring forest cover and riparian vegetation can limit the potential for fires to spread. Ignitions are trickier. Electricity infrastructure is clearly an important area to explore. But far more important than these ideas are the people who are turning them to action. He talks a little bit about the government infrastructure here, but then he goes, we cannot diminish the scope of this challenge. This submission offers little to alleviate the trauma felt by the families who experienced and suffered losses in those fires, yet there's no better reason to take this issue head on and no reason Hawaii cannot take matters into its own hands. While we continue to compete with other states for federal fire mitigation funding, California decided last year to allocate $195 million for a fire forest health fund. The West Maui fires are, again, just the latest example of the cost wildfires continue to exert in terms of life, property, and our irreparable and irreplaceable cultural and natural resources. Just like with climate change, we know what steps will reduce the risk of wildfire, but actually taking these steps will require reinvesting in and frankly reimagining our individual and collective responsibility for the larger landscape. I found that to be totally interesting because it's not, because it is a scientist who believes in the premise of both climate change and in the premise that government spending should be used for these mitigation measures or these prevention measures. You can compare that to the governor of Hawaii, Josh Green, who is blaming climate change, blaming climate change. And at first this seems like, oh, this, this governor, Josh Green, is just deflecting responsibility. He doesn't want to take responsibility for being negligent in enacting these mitigation 
measures, but it's also it's also more than just deflecting responsibility. It is the most evil of all the political tactics. It's exploiting fear and grief to push pre-existing political agendas. And that's exactly what the Democrats are doing right now. Even though the science shows, this is element number seven, that there has not been an increase in natural disasters, let alone one that's traceable to climate change. You can see this, this is, let me bring this up on the screen. I'm gonna, this is element number seven. It'll be the graph that shows especially 2020 to 2022. There we go. Look at that. There hasn't been an increase from the year 2000 through 2022. The only increases that we've been able to trace in the last 100 years have been because of our increased ability to detect and label such incidents, not because that they have increased in severity, severity or frequency. The left, once again, is lying, just like they're lying about what's happening in our inner cities. What's happening in our inner cities is not the violence that's happening. San Francisco, for example, Seattle, Portland, these cities that are just an absolute clown show. They're, they're like a third world country. This is not the result, the violence or the homelessness or the anarchy is not the unintended consequences of unwise leftist political policies. It is, it's the purpose. This is the goal of these, these political policies. There's a police officer in Seattle who served on the force for 23 years. She served for 23 years and she quit, she resigned. And instead of undergoing the classic exit interview, she wrote a scathing 15 page letter to the police chief about the mayor, about the city council and about the police chief himself, accusing them of negligence and intentionally running the city into the ground. And I wanna read you just a little bit of this. Okay, so a police officer, this police officer in Seattle wrote a scathing, 15-page resignation letter just excoriating the city's political leadership. And I want to read, this was reported first by Jason Rance, and I want to read his report first. He writes, Lieutenant Jessica Taylor served in the Seattle Police Department for the last 23 years, but she called it quits on August 1st, and she made sure she didn't leave quietly, providing a rare and in-depth look into how officers perceive the city and local lawmakers. Taylor refused to fill out the exit form, which asks questions like, why is an officer leaving? Who's their new employer? What the officer liked most and least about working in the department? Instead, she offered Chief Adrian Diaz a 15-page resignation letter that promised a, quote, unfiltered, raw, and unapologetic description of why she made the decision to retire. I wanted to go out with the truth, Taylor told Jason Rance. Taylor did not hold back her criticism. This is what she wrote. Chief Diaz, let me tell you, the state of the Seattle Police Department and this city is a disgrace. The toxic mix of the Seattle City Council's absurdity, the spinelessness of the mayor, the leniency of the prosecutor's office, and your failed leadership has accelerated the city's downhill slide straight to rock bottom. The problems were already brewing before you came on the scene, but since your arrival, it's been a free fall into anarchy and chaos. She called out the Seattle City Council members saying that they lost touch with reality, making decisions that defy common sense and basic logic. Their priority, she says, is playing politics, pandering to radical ideologies, rather than genuinely serving the city's and its residents' best interests. Their absurd policies have turned Seattle into a playground for anarchists and criminals, and they seem utterly unconcerned with the devastating consequences of their actions. If you haven't noticed, she wrote, the criminals are running the city. 
She said that Mayor Bruce Harrell lacks the courage to take on the council. She said, instead of taking decisive action to protect the city and its citizens, the mayor ignores the rampant lawlessness on our streets. It's a disgrace to see a city leader prioritize political correctness over the safety and well-being of its people. She said, it's no wonder Seattle has become a laughingstock of the nation and the globe. They're laughing about us on the international news. Aren't you embarrassed? I am. It's mortifying. The city that once prided itself on progressiveness and prosperity has now become a hotbed for crime and anarchy. This is pretty, this is pretty telling stuff. Meanwhile, in San Francisco, San Francisco, the crime in downtown San Francisco has become so bad that near the San Francisco, especially near the San Francisco federal building that employees are being told that they should work from home and not even come in to the San Francisco federal building. The point here is the policies, the decisions that the politicians are making that lead to anarchy and chaos, lawlessness, crime, abuse. This is not the unintended consequences of unwise policies. This is the purpose. The purpose of the left's policies, of their radical policies, is the destabilization of our cities because the goal of their political ideology is the destabilization of our civil society in order to destabilize our government institutions. This is how they're doing it. This is how they're doing it. Meanwhile, Senator Ron Johnson says that COVID-19 was planned by a group of elitists and he named the elitists that planned COVID-19. This is what he said. This is all pre-planned by an elite group of people. That's what I'm talking about. Event 201 that occurred in late 2019 prior to the rest of us knowing about this pandemic. Again, yeah. Yeah, th this is very concerning in terms of what has happened, what is happening, uh, what continues to be planned for our loss of freedom. Um, mm -hmm. Again, it needs to be exposed, but unfortunately there, there are very few people, even in Congress, that are willing to take a look at this. Uh, they, they all push the vaccine. Uh, they don't want to, you know, be, be made aware of the fact that the vaccines might have caused injuries, might have caused death. Uh, you know, so, so many people just simply don't want to admit they were wrong, and they're going to do everything right. they can to make sure that they're not proven wrong. We're, well, we're up against people, a very powerful group of people here, Maria. But, you know, fortunately, you say, what can we do? Well, you know, we do have reporters like yourself, like John Solomon, other people that have the, the courage to report the truth against the mainstream media and against the narrative. But that's the only way this is going to be solved, is we need the truth to be exposed. We need more Americans to listen to the truth, to be exposed to the truth, to pull their heads out of the sand, quite honestly, open up their eyes and understand what is happening in this country. We are going down a very dangerous path, but as a path is being laid out and planned by an elite group of people that want to take total control over our lives. And that's what they're doing bit by bit. They do it by increasing ma you know, massive government spending, increasing the size of government, uh, takeover of the WHO. These amendments that are coming up uh, that are going to be voted on in 2024 on the WHO are frightening, and they, they really risk taking away all of our sovereignty. Uh, people have to awake, awaken to the dangers of the moment. I love it. I love every word of it. The left can call me a conspiracy theory all day and all night long. I don't care. Senator Ron Johnson, I think he's the only U.S. senator who's actually said anything close to this, that COVID-19 was, at least the response, was something pre-planned. You can make the argument um, that COVID-19, the virus, was released by accident based on the negligence and the funding from the U.S. 
uh, NIH through EcoHealth Alliance to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. There are some people I know who think that it was released intentionally as a bioweapon. I'm not sure there's evidence for that. Regardless, putting that aside, that notwithstanding, I think the evidence shows most of us can agree that the response from the government, especially the response that contradicted decades and decades of science, that was pre-planned. That was a playbook that, that was practiced during Event 201 with the Bill Gateses and the Klaus Schwabs and all of these global elitists who, and the World Health Organization, and yes, the CDC, and all of these institutions and global powers that sought to control our population, maybe even the global population, not just the American population, by first telling us that if we didn't obey them, that we were going to die of some crazy, scary virus. I love it. I love that he said it. He's the only one at that level of government who I've ever heard talk about COVID-19 in this based uh, this based way, and he's correct. If we don't have more government officials speaking out like this, then the left and the globalists are gonna be emboldened and they're going to do it again. Okay, we have time for one more random thing from the internet. This is what happens when your vegetarian friends invite you over to dinner. For those of you who are listening, this is two rabbits, two bunny rabbits who are nibbling on a cucumber next to a little wiener dog that's looking sad and lonely and not eating anything. Maybe this is what happens if I invite people to my house to cook. I go to town eating my delicious vegan food and other people are, other people are like that little dog. <laughs> Rebecca, Rebecca suggested this video because this is how she feels when we have dinner. Just saying, just a suggestion, something I'm throwing out there. All right, guys, thank you for watching the show today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show.